Thank you. It's always good to have the applause in advance. Um, right, so here we go. We're A Year of Courage, Season 1, Episode 2. And uh, why are we doing this? Well, it's because as a church, as Christians, we have some amazing good news that transforms people's lives. But many of us, probably most of us, struggle at least some of the time because of fear when it comes to sharing that, that good news. So we need to be courageous people. And courage isn't about waiting for the fear to go. That just doesn't happen. Um, courage is feeling the fear but doing it anyway. I've got this great quote from... Um, a former American president, Roosevelt, courage is not the absence of fear, but the assessment that something else is more important than fear. So I'm thinking, what is that something else? Well, for us, it's, it's love. If we love people, we will overcome our fear in order to serve them with prayer, with sharing our own personal story, telling them about Jesus, because we love them the way that God loves them. And, and there's so much at stake, isn't there? There's, there are things that are way, way more important than our own inner trepidation. So courage then is feeling the fear, doing it anyway. And last week, Matt challenged us to take some steps to face our fears, to identify them, to see areas where God plans for us to grow. Because every time we, we sense that anxiety, that is an area that God wants us to grow in, to learn in, to become more courageous as we uh, do something about it. Matt gave us lists, uh, a list of potential reasons why we would find it difficult to share our faith, which is the greatest news in the world, with others. Um, it might be that we simply just, the conversation never go, goes in that direction and we don't bring it up, or that we haven't got any friends to share that news with. That's quite sad really isn't it um, that we fear some sort of loss loss of respect or loss of influence or even losing friends that we're embarrassed or fearful of offending people and and in our mission group this week um, we looked at the the blog that Matt wrote and sent out how many of you saw that it would have come through church suite great if you're not yet getting that then sign up for church suite that that's going to be a fortnightly thing, uh, a, a blog with some really helpful discussion questions. And we looked at those questions and asked, just asked God really to help us identify individually what it was that held us back and made it difficult for us to uh, step out and, and be brave and courageous. And then we encouraged one another and prayed for one another. And I just wonder, has anyone had a had a moment of courage since last week when Matt started the series. Anyone out there has stepped out of their comfort zone and done something that took a bit more courage than, than normal? Not yet. <laughs> we'll keep asking the question. <laughs> it, it takes courage to commit to being courageous, doesn't it? It's like I, do you know, I think there was probably some people, and even myself, I was thinking, 
year of courage. I wonder if I just keep my head down and keep quiet. This will quickly pass by and we'll move on to something much more enjoyable. But it's not going to. Matt, you wanted to share something. Um, at Central, our um, uh, site that meets in the middle of town, they've had their staycation last week and their whole thing was courage. So all day Saturday, courage. And then I preached on Sunday evening the message from last week about courage. And a student came up to me and he said, yes, yeah, Sunday morning I was in town and a bunch of Harry Krishnas sort of in the orange sort of robes sort of walked past, chanted by. And he's, he just felt the prompt to go and speak to them. And so he did that. He went and chatted to them. They invited him back for lunch. He went to lunch with them, decided to spend all his time talking about Jesus, and they got quite unhappy with him. And so he had to leave. But great, you know, I thought straight away, he's there, just like saying, you know, and that, for me, that's set the bar quite high. <laughs> um, but that's great, isn't it? Fantastic, yeah. And, and we, you know, when we, when we do step out and, and a bit more courageous, it won't always go well. Some people will be offended. They won't like it. But to be honest, there are people out there who are really very open to hearing the good news about Jesus. It's just they're waiting for someone to tell them. That's really true. Jesus himself said it. He said, the harvest is ripe. We just need workers. Anyway, this... This uh, Sunday, we're going to look, I've called it Great Expectations. We're going to look at one key fear, which is the fear of failure, the fear of disappointment, the fear that we will just end up proving ourselves to be useless. And this kind of fear in any area of life paralyzes us, doesn't it? I won't do it because if, I, if it doesn't go well, that will be worse than just not doing it at all. It's safer not to attempt anything than to try and fail miserably. Um, a few weeks ago, my team at work uh, had uh, like a team meeting and then a couple of hours for a leisure activity and the decision was to go bowling. Now, I don't like bowling and the main reason why I don't like bowling is not because I don't like bowling, it's because I'm no good at it. Um, and so I was thinking, I could opt out of that, I've got plenty of work to do, I could come back to the office. I, and I thought, no, I've just got to face the fear and do it anyway. So. So I joined them in the temp in bowling. Now, I was not very good at it. Now, you know this, this ball that you bowl down the alley? Well, I managed on one occasion to hit my leg with it. And they are very heavy. Very. So, oh, it, oh, it hurt. Everyone was watching. And... To be honest, I didn't do that well overall. I didn't come anywhere near the top in terms of our team, but I did get three strikes in a row. Woo! And that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't plucked up courage and gone bowling. Yeah, it doesn't sound that great now, does it? <laughs> but we set, we set our sights low in order to avoid disappointment. I wonder how many areas of your life you're doing that right now, where you're saying, no, I, I just don't want to fail. So I'm gonna keep myself uh, in, my, uh, in my comfort zone. God. Yep. Um, Alexander Pope, whoever he is, said, <laughs> I have no idea, I think he was a poet. He said, blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. 
It's a great motto for life, isn't it? So if that's one thing you take away with you, expect nothing and you won't be disappointed. But expectation can also hugely influence the outcome of what we're doing. So uh, a few months ago, I had a, a meeting arranged in London and um, quite an important meeting, and I decided to pack the day with other meetings as well. Uh, so I had lined up four meetings in London with people that I wanted to meet, and my boss came with me. And as we set off for the first meeting, she said, so what's your expectation? What's the best possible outcome from this meeting? I thought, ooh, I haven't really thought about that. We were just gonna chat. So she got me thinking, and we decided on what the best possible outcome would be. And then we went on to the next meeting, same question. We were crisscrossing London on the hottest day of the year last summer. It was, uh, it was very tiring, but incredible, because before each meeting, she just said, what's your expectation? What's the best possible outcome? And that, do you know what? That set us up for some amazing meetings, because when the, the people we were meeting with said, so what is it you'd like to get out of this? I was on it. I knew exactly. I was able to make the big ask, and we had a great day. So expectation can really set you up for, for things to go well. And we're, we're, I want you to know that Jesus has set you up to succeed. If you're a Christian, Jesus has set you up to succeed. And we're going to look for this as we read from John chapter 14. So Kate's going to come and read some verses from John chapter 14. Uh, you can follow it on the screen, uh, or if you have a Bible, you can turn it up. I'm going to start with verse 5. Thomas said to him, to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Thank you so much. That's part of... Uh, what Jesus was saying to his disciples not long before he went to his trial and then his crucifixion. So these are incredibly important words. Can you see where Jesus has set the expectations high? He says that you're going to do the works that I've done and you're going to even do even greater works because I'm going to the Father. That's incredible, isn't it? Jesus expects us his followers, 
to do the same sorts of things that he was doing. And so that's where our expectation should be as well. So we're going to explore that together. And the reason that Jesus has that expectation of us is that we have the same Holy Spirit within us that he had. We have the same relationship with the Father that he had. And we're destined, therefore, to make huge transformational impact around us. This is what we're destined for. As long as we step out in courage and keep that vital, vital channel of prayer open that Jesus talks about. So a key thing then is to draw out expectation and believing that we're commissioned with his authority to bring about um, incredible things. Things should not be normal around us. Um, And so we're going to look at what are the works of Jesus. That's the first thing. Now, the the majority of times in, in John's gospel that Jesus refers to his works, he actually means miracles. And there's no doubt about that. In fact, in the translation that Kate read from, it had the word miracles in there in one of the verses uh, where it has works on the, on the screen. And he's, we're talking about his evangelizing a Samaritan woman at the well where he had incredible supernatural insight into what was going on in her life so that she could be set free from that. We're talking about healing a lame man, healing a man that was born blind, and all sorts of miracles in general. And Jesus called them the the works of his father. His father was working through him, living in him, doing his work, and we can't avoid this. We can't water it down. We can't say, well, okay, well, Jesus also did works of love and humility and service. Yes, he did. He also taught and preached. Yes, he did. But he did miracles. And this verse, you can't kind of get around it. We're to be a miracle-working people as well as everything else that makes us like Jesus. And what's the purpose of these miracles? Well, they're signposts. Uh, in John... In the passage that we've read, Jesus says, Believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me. They're signposts. The miracles that Jesus did were not simply for show. They were signposts to a God who is good and merciful and compassionate. A God who loves to heal the sick. A God who loves to bring hope where there is no hope. And at the end of John's Gospel, uh, John uh, kind of sums up, He's summing up and he says, there are so, Jesus performed so many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. The purpose of miracles is to be a signpost to a loving God who's given his own son, Jesus, as Messiah, as the way to God, the one who says, I am the way the truth, the life, and you come to the Father by me. So that's the purpose of the miracles. And God uses them then to generate faith that will bring people into a living relationship with him. So our motivation as we begin to step into this and believe that God can use us just as Jesus said he would, our motivation and our 
our destination, our aim, if you like, is a revelation of the glory of God. So that people will, and God's glory is his goodness, his compassion, and his mercy. So that people will see that there is a living God who cares for them and is still alive and active and reveals himself through answering prayer, through miraculous uh, transformations. So that's what the, the works are. Who is it for? Well, Jesus said, I'll just read it to you. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Whoever believes in me. It's as simple as that. Now, some of you this morning probably don't yet believe in Jesus. But if you did, if you put your faith in him, think how incredible your life could be from that moment onwards. Because Jesus has actually got stuff planned for you where it's not all about you, it's about how God can use you to serve others, to meet needs, to make a difference in people's lives. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, for me, that makes it worth believing in Jesus, that my life will take on this supernatural purpose, that I'll have a power that I don't yet have that will enable me to see incredible things happen, not only in my own life, but in the lives of others. And we'll get on to what that looks like shortly. So it's for everyone. This is for everyone. Yes, there will be people. Um, the Bible says there are people who have the gift of working miracles, and they will be doing it all the time in all sorts of different circumstances. But for all of us, everyday, ordinary second-rate Christians who don't think too highly of ourselves. We still have this ability, Jesus says, to do the works that he did. So I find that this is stunning. This, this should shock us. This should jolt us because, you know, what have we done to deserve this? Nothing. How are we equipped to do the sorts of things that Jesus did? Well, we'll come on to that. We have some resources which are absolutely incredible and actually do equip us for this. And Jesus had already put his disciples through something of a training program. If you're familiar with the stories of, of Jesus in the Gospels, you might recall that on several occasions he sent them out to uh, preach the good news, to heal the sick, to bring deliverance, to to bring the power of God. And they experience some success. They also experience some failure. But whether it's success or failure, it's always an opportunity to grow and to learn. And the same will be for us. We'll have some things that just don't work. Uh, but we'll learn from them, as well as learning from the things that where God really does uh, give us incredible success. Now, the, ver the verse that we're focused on uh, throws up a bit of a problem because it not only says that whoever believes in Jesus will do the same sorts of works that he does, but also that we'll do greater works. Now, what does that mean? That's a bit, that's like stretching it beyond what you think is even possible. Not only the works that Jesus did, but greater works. So does it mean more? So there's more of us than there was of him and uh, we can go further well, actually, it doesn't because uh, in the Greek that, that, that this was written in, there are other words for more. This word that is used here means 
uh, greater in terms of quality, impact, importance. So that's a bit scary, really. So do we do, like Jesus fed the 5,000, so should we be feeding the 10,000? Jesus walked on a lake, so should we walk on the Atlantic Ocean? No, it doesn't mean that, okay? Because that would just get crazy, and it's not about how spectacular it is. It's about something quite different. Jesus actually explains it. He says, you're going to do uh, greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Something was about to happen that would change everything. Jesus was about to go to the cross to to take the penalty for the sins of, of humanity. He would then rise from the dead... And then he would go to the highest place, to heaven itself, and ascend to the Father, where he still is, where he reigns forever. Something momentous changed through the cross and the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus. That means that the works that are done afterwards are even greater than the miracles that were done by Jesus before he went to the cross. Why are they greater? Because they're done in the context of, of, uh, the, of his death and resurrection, which means that the message of salvation, the message of the gospel is now crystal clear. And we should, exp- often when you read um, the stories of miracles that Jesus did, they left people bewildered and some people got it, but a lot didn't. Even the disciples didn't always get it. But we're living in an age of far greater clarity now. And the, and the greater work, if you like, is that not only can we pray for people who are ill and see them healed, but we can share with them the fact that God loves them and wants something far greater, which is not just physical healing, which is always temporary because everybody dies sooner or later. But eternal, the gift of eternal life that comes when someone is, is, is made new by the power of God, by receiving Jesus into their lives. So in that sense, the works that are done after the death and resurrection of Jesus are even greater than the works he did. And they're, and they're not done by him, they're done by his disciples. And we are his disciples. So the contrast then is not ultimately between Jesus' works and the disciples' works, but between the works that Jesus himself performed when he was on earth and the works that he now performs, the miracles he now performs through us, his people, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've got this clear message of salvation which goes with it. So what are our resources? I said earlier that none of us will feel very equipped for this. And if we did, it would be strange. Um, But actually, we have incredible supernatural resources. First of all, we have prayer. Jesus immediately says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me, anything in my name and I will do it. This this again should cause us to, to stop and think anything, anything in his name and he will do it. Power is meant to be incredibly powerful. Um, I learned some lessons about prayer recently in a totally different context. So um, at work, uh, I came up with an idea for a project 
um, which I, I kind of really believed could be quite, uh, have a lot of potential, but I couldn't get anyone on board with it. Um, uh, especially higher up the organization. So I'd be sending emails right up to the top to chief executive and I'd just get e emails back that were fairly dismissive really and saying a bit more work needs to be done on this. And So I did a bit more work on it. I got more specific about what I thought the project might look like and I really tried to nail it down as best I could and you know, sent it around again and had conversations with people higher up and still nothing very much happened it just got batted back to me so then I uh, I decided I had a conversation with my boss about it and I decided that the next round of emails I'd, I sent higher up I would CC my boss in it in other words I was sending this request in my boss's name and it's remarkable the difference that that seemed to make um, it seemed to carry some clout it seemed to have a bit of authority with it. And so the things I learned were, were get specific, don't be woolly and vague, do some work on what it is you're actually asking for, persevere, and do it in the name of someone higher than you. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know, with prayer, be specific, persevere, and ask in my name. His name carries clout. And we should expect that when we pray, particularly when we're in this arena of getting out there, being courageous, plucking up courage to speak to friends, neighbors, workmates, family about our faith in Jesus, and even uh, perhaps praying for them and praying for miracles in their lives, we should, we should call on this resource. We should ask Jesus and then expect stuff to happen. And, and in all of that, God gets glory. Uh, you know, it's, Jesus says, the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's why Jesus answers prayer, is so that the Father can get glory. And there is actually nothing more amazing than when, to our surprise, prayers get answered. And we think, wow, that had to be God. God gets the glory. It's so good. So prayer, we had last year, we had a year of prayer. This year is a year of courage. We haven't ditched the year of prayer. It's still ongoing. We're still in a season of prayer. We have a prayer meeting as a church once every two months. The next date is coming up in February. Let's be there and pray. A great uh, preacher from the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, said the condition of a church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. I think that's true. I think the amount of grace that's on us as a church can be gauged from our prayer meetings. So that's the first resource, this, this, and, we, and we're going to be looking in a moment at actually using prayer in those situations where people have needs and we have the opportunity to pray for them. But the second resource is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to, I'm going to send you another advocate, another counselor. It's the Holy Spirit. He's going to come alongside you. When I'm gone, he'll be with you. And so we have the Spirit of God with us. And it's the same Spirit that enabled Jesus to do the works he did. It's incredibly clear in Acts 10. It says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the enemy. 
It's the Holy Spirit within Jesus. The Holy Spirit's within us. What have we got to lose? Let's go for it. And so I'm going to move on to some practical stuff. Um, we're going to uh, look at a short video in a moment or a segment from a longer video uh, from an English couple, church planted in the States, um, which is where they're speaking from, but you'll hear delightful English accents. And as, as part of their personal discipline and the disciplines of their church, they have this thing which is to regularly ask people who are not yet in the church, not yet believers in Christ, can I pray for you? And so in the early part of the video, they talk about how, how can we do this with our friends? And a, a couple of really helpful things they suggest. The first is that when we're with our friends, if they're real friends, they would want us to accept them as they are. Yeah? For them, they should feel that they can be real and authentic with us and feel comfortable. Therefore, they should accept us as we are. And what we are is that we have got something uh, that is spiritual about us. We are spiritual people. And that should be part of who we are when we're with our friends. And in fact, they should... Um, Alex in the, in the video says, most of my friends now really like the fact that they know someone who's, who's spiritual, who's got something spiritual about them. It, shouldn't, it should be an attractive thing. Secondly, we shouldn't live our lives in two compartments. Let me just try something. So let, let's say I bump into one of you um, over, over coffee afterwards, and you ask me how I'm doing, and I say, oh, man, I've had a real pain in my shoulder for the last week. How many of you would say, would you like me to pray for you? Four, five, six know who your friends are. Come on, how, how many of you, if I was complaining, would say, well, would you like me to pray for you? Oh, a few more this time. That's good. How many of you, if a colleague in the office or some a member of your family or a friend from your neighborhood said, I've got this real bad pain in my shoulder. It's been there for a week. How many of you would say, would you like me to pray for you? Good. A few of you. Brilliant. The point of that is that it should, as many as put their hands up the first time, we should be putting our hands up the second time because we don't live our lives in two compartments. It's the same God when we're out on the street or in the office or around a neighbor's house. It's the same God, same power. We're the same person. Why shouldn't we ask that question? And uh, so we're going to join their conversation now. And uh, the lights will go down, and we'll watch this for about three minutes. I think what a lot of us don't do is we don't then follow that logic through to when we're with friends who are, who are not yet believers. So I think it's, it's the same Jesus. It's the same God. It's the same creation. He, he's got the same love, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So he's still got incredible love for the, these people. So why wouldn't he want them healed? Uh, so the issue is not with God. The issue is with us. And so we need to treat our non-Christian friends the same way we treat our Christian friends. And I think that the, this phrase, can I pray for you, helps draw us into that. So what's it look like? So you're out with your non-Christian friend, whether it's going for a walk or at work or whatever, and there's something that happens. How do you make the ask without it just being completely crazy? Mm. So it's, 
So there, there's clearly a sensitivity issue, it's time and context. You're not, we're not, um, we're not doing the equivalent of Bible bashing where we just got this Jesus bomb we're going to drop on you. Um, but at the same time, I think if we're honest, for most of us, that's not the issue. For most of us, our pitfall is not that we're over keen on talking about Jesus. Most of us are going the other way and we're, we don't share enough about the Lord. So um, uh, I think it's being attentive to the spirit. You will get that Holy Spirit dig in the ribs. Um, Which looks like? I think it, it looks like... Um, Sometimes you're just like, it's almost like you can hear God's voice. I've been in situations where I've heard the voice of the Spirit saying, are you going to pray for him? Are you going to pray for him? Are you going to pray for him? Or sometimes there's just this feeling inside of it. It's like, oh gosh, yeah, it's one of those <laughs> moments. I need to pluck up the courage and do it. Um, I, I, I think it's, 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 it's being in a situation or something. It could be, it could be a, a good thing. It could be a negative thing in their life. And they're sharing about, hey, we've got a new baby. Hey, I've got a promotion. Or I'm not well, or I'm stressed about the kids, or whatever. And you, and you dialogue, because we, we have wisdom and we love to share in those moments. But you get that Holy Spirit nerves that you feel you need to do something, and what do you say? I might, okay, I'll do it with you. So I might go, um, hey, Hannah, it's, it, it, I know this might sound weird, but my experience is Jesus loves to help us when we're um, stressed out about the kids. And I've found he's really helped me in my parenting in those times where I've been at the end of myself. Um, would, would it be okay if I just prayed for you, for, for Jesus to guide you in your parenting? Because I think he could really just, you know, it's so hard, isn't it, raising kids? And I think he'd love to just give you wisdom from heaven to help you do that. Would... Do you get many people saying no? I've never had, well, let me put it like this. The only time I've had someone say no to me is when I've done that with a Christian. So um, I've had several Christians say no thank you and I've offered to pray for healing. Um, so there's a whole theological So they say yes and or sure or whatever, probably often out of surprise as much as anything else. Yeah, yeah. And then what do you pray? Sometimes people go, I'd love you to. So actually we, you get more enthused responses than you would expect. Great. It goes on for a fair bit longer with lots of practical examples. But I just love the ordinariness of that and the fact that it's conversational. And he, he goes on to say, don't assume a different tone of voice when you start praying or use religious language. Just, you know, talk to God as, a, as you have been talking to the person themselves and ask simple, short, direct, bold prayers and I, I found that offering to pray for people whether I pray with them there and then or whether I go away and pray for them can really unlock things so I've had friends who are not being Christians and and I've had opportunities to say to them if you were to have a miracle in your life what would it be and um, they've given me some incredible things really to go away and pray for and uh, I could just uh, several stories of where God has answered those prayers. And they've, they've acknowledged that. They've seen that, you know, when we meet up next time or even some time later. Sometime, one occasion, it just took over a year for the prayer to be answered. But God did answer that prayer. So being, being really sp specific and simple and straightforward and not overly religious. And then praying for healing. Um, 
The Bible talks about laying hands on people when we pray for them, but that may not always be appropriate. But you can ask, do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder or whatever? Just be very sensitive and be appropriate about that. If you do, it doesn't really matter if you don't. Friend, I think the key thing here is going to be making some commitments to step out of our comfort zone. So in Ian's mission group, they've made a commitment that by the time they meet again uh, in a week or two's time, they will have all taken some steps of courage in talking to people, praying for people, whatever it might be. So we're going to just talk about making commitment, personal commitment. I've got a, a great story from last summer. I met up with a a friend of mine who's a church leader in Leicester, and he'd just returned from a, a trip uh, to Tanzania, and he'd taken a team from the church, and they'd gone out to a village in the rem- a remote part of Tanzania, and he said the first thing we did was we got gathered the church there that we were visiting, and we prayed for all of them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit came, and then he said, we, then we started to pray for healings, and we got them praying for healings as well. And he told me about a woman with a a kind of a big swelling in her throat, a big growth on her throat. As she was prayed for, she started vomiting. And and then then the, the growth just disappeared. Then another guy who'd been blind for three years, his sight was recovered. Uh, another lady who uh, had, um, you know, she was, she was partially lame. Her legs were prayed for and healed, and she started running up the hill in the village. And anyway, so that all happens out in Tanzania, doesn't it? And we can think, okay, fine, fine. We can believe that, perhaps. It's, you know, it's another world. Strange things happen. But he said to his team, he said, when you get back, take every opportunity you have to tell people about what you've just been doing for the last couple of weeks. And then he said, he said, and then my opportunity came. I'm a school governor and uh, chair of the governors. And, he's, and he just got back from the trip, so he thought, okay, I've got to tell him about it. So he tells everybody about this trip, the full works, you know, the miracles and everything. And another of the governors, who's a Muslim, was a Muslim, said, well, I've had a pain in my left leg for two months. And he stretched out his hand and laid it on John's, and he said, I need healing. Well, John was quite shocked and and did the sort of reserved thing, which was said, well, how about I phone you in a few days' time when we can arrange a time to, to pray, and, uh, which is where they left it. So John did pluck up courage and phoned him again two or three days later. And the guy said, I'm, I've been healed. How do I become a Christian? <laughs> so, you know, stuff happens when we're prepared to take some risks. And why? Because Jesus said, you're going to do the works that I did, and even greater works. I mean, what could be greater than someone wanting to become a Christian as a result of receiving that sort of healing? That's just amazing, isn't it? So we're, we're almost done. I just really want to encourage you to, to make a commitment between you and God for whatever the next kind of slightly scary thing will be, to start talking about it in mission group, to step out of your comfort zone, to be obedient. Uh, 
you know, it's not caring too much about our success or failure, but being obsessed with being obedient and wanting to bring glory to God. And in the, the video, which I'll put up on Facebook so you can watch it if you want to, they talk about what happens when people don't get healed. And simple answer is, most people, just the experience of being prayed for and feeling that either the love of the individual or, or in some tangible way the love of God um, is brilliant anyway even if they're not healed there and then. So let's go for it. We're weak, we're imperfect. God gets the glory, but he does want to use us. And remember Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So courage is not the absence of fear, but the assessment that something else is more important than fear. Brilliant. Matt. Should we stand to our feet? If we can have the band back, that'd be great. Thank you, Steve. Let me just pray for us. And uh, we've got a little bit of time now just to uh, commit to God. Let's be open to God speaking to us, uh, encouraging us. Uh, might get an opportunity to pray for each other. So you just bow your heads with me for a moment. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for what you're doing in our community. Thank you for... Um, uh, this year of courage. Um, God, I pray that there would be a real sense uh, all of us are stepping towards it rather than just hoping that this year will whiz by and we got to escape from it. Um, I pray, Lord, that in these moments as we sing and as we think about how you want to use us, um, God, we pray that um, your Holy Spirit would start speaking and inspiring us and giving us confidence in the tools you've given us your presence the power of prayer so we're here for you Lord want to hear from you want to worship you in Jesus name Amen